And this morning's sermon text comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
It's good to see you this morning. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles. Turn them to the book of John and chapter 21. We have been working through a series here at Redeemer called Seeing Jesus because, well, that's what the purpose of John's gospel is, is for the readers to see who Jesus is, to see what Jesus has done, and to believe in him, and to follow him, and to serve him. And so what we've seen in, God's, in, in John's gospel, I guess it would be okay to call it God's gospel, but in John's gospel is that Jesus... The Son of God was born in Bethlehem. He was born to Mary and Joseph. He has lived. He has obeyed God. He has fulfilled the law of God. He has kept the commandments of God. He has taught the people of God. He has worked miracles that bring glory to God. He has given his life on a cross as a sacrifice to pay the penalty of sin so that people can enter the kingdom of God and the church of God and the family of God. And then in chapter 20, which we didn't preach last week, but we preached on Easter Sunday, April 1st, we see that Jesus was not defeated by death, but rather he rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he defeated death, which meant he can defeat sin, which meant he has defeated Satan, which meant he can forgive sin, which means that we can be his children through Christ. And this living Jesus appears to Mary, appears to the disciples, appears to the disciples again and to a doubting Thomas. And then we are told in chapter 21, for the third time, appears to the disciples as they are fishing. And so what we're going to see in John 21 today is this. The living Jesus reveals himself to shape how we live and serve him. The living Jesus reveals himself to shape how we live and serve in his kingdom and in his church and in his world. So in reality, what I'm saying is what happens in this passage between Jesus and Peter, the living, resurrected Jesus and Peter, is not just about Jesus and Peter. It is, but it also becomes a very important model for us as we seek to live in this world as people who have denied Jesus, who come in contrition, and who look to bear much fruit for his name. So that's what we're going to see in this passage. If you're one of my note-taking friends, the first point is the living king. The first point is the living king. So chapter 19, where we were last week, ended with Jesus really dead, really in a tomb, really having suffered physical brutality, emotional brutality, and spiritual forsaking by the Father, whereby he was bearing the wrath that sin deserved so that people could be forgiven. That happened. And then in chapter 20 and in 21, on the third day, meaning he died on Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on the third day, he rose from the dead and he began revealing himself to his followers that he was truly alive. 
never to die again, never to, never to go away and to cease to exist. This Jesus continued to reveal himself, continued to minister to his people until he would ascend to heaven, where we are told in the book of Acts that he is currently alive on his throne, reigning over his universe. So hear this today. Jesus today is the living king. Jesus today is in charge of his world. Jesus today is in charge of his church. Jesus today is in charge of the lives of his people. And the whole world will ultimately answer to this Jesus who is the living king. So what we get in verse 1 through 14 is a story of this living Jesus revealing himself to his disciples. You know, some of the, the ones in chapter 20 were a little more like you would see in a sci-fi film. You know, like you're in a locked room, scared for your life, and then Jesus just goes, Hey, don't be afraid, I'm here. This one's a little more natural. The disciples are out fishing because that's what they were before they met Jesus, and that's what they still are after they followed him. And so they're out fishing, and they've had a wretched, wretched evening. They've caught, well, nothing. If you fish like me, that's a common occurrence. If you're going to make your living off of it, you would hope that that's not a common occurrence. And so they've caught nothing, and a man appears on the shore to them, and he says, hey, do you have any fish? To which they say, no. And so he tells them, throw your net out on the right side of the boat. And so they do that, and they haul in a huge quantity. We're told, to be precise, it was 153 fish. And so I'm taking the Bible at its word that that's a huge haul for one cast of a net. I know nothing about fishing. I know nothing about fishing in that particular time, in that particular part of the world. But we're told that's a huge catch. And we're told at that moment that John first and then Peter looked back to the shore and they connected the dots, that that's, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. And the Lord is revealing himself to us to show us that he's alive and that he's still ministering and that he's still powerful and that he's still at work and he still loves his children. And so they run to the shore and Jesus cooks them breakfast. And they, they break bread together and they eat fish together. So this story shows us that Jesus indeed is still alive. And Jesus indeed is still going to great lengths to minister to and care for and mobilize his followers and his disciples for the purpose of building his kingdom. So let's get this very, very very clear before we move into the rest of this passage. Humanity's hope is Jesus. And when I say humanity in broad terms, I mean it in broad terms, but I mean it down to very specific terms as well. Your only hope is Jesus. And my only hope is Jesus. Scriptures tell us that left to ourselves, we are a sinful people who need a great Savior, and his name is Jesus. The scriptures tell us that Jesus died and rose again so that he could 
give to us the new life, the everlasting life, and the transformation that will last forever that only he can give us that our hearts yearn for. So, to all of us this morning, I would say, wrestle with the question, how do I respond to Jesus? Now, if you're here exploring our faith, let me just make this very clear to you, okay? Look around, look around. Misfits. Spiritual misfits. Brokenness, doubt, fear, anger, sin, rebellion. It's in all of our hearts. So you're in good, good company this morning. And all we profess to be true about ourselves is that this man, Jesus, died for us and he rose again to deliver us and he sent his spirit to dwell within us and he's eager to do that for you as well. So this day, we stand in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Our future is in Christ. Our transformation is in Christ. Why can tomorrow be be more God-honoring than yesterday? Because of Christ. Because of the Spirit. Jesus is everything. And He is the living King. Now, what we see in the rest of this passage, verses 15 and following, is how Jesus applies that ministry to a particular disciple named Peter. And I think how Jesus ministers to Peter gives us as the church a very needed word for today. So let's look first at Peter and then us. So second point for my note-taking friends, what about Peter? If you go back to chapter 17, In chapter 18, I guess you could say 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, all in a couple days of the life of Jesus. What you see is a man named Judas, who was one of the followers of Jesus, betray him. And then you see a man named Peter, who not only was one of the followers of Jesus, not only was he in the the circle of the inner 12 that we might call the disciples or the apostles, but he was in the inner, inner circle of the three that got to spend the most time with Jesus and be in those, some of those most intimate moments that Jesus shared with his father. And on that last night, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you will deny me three times this evening. And Peter said, never. And they came to arrest Jesus. And Peter, determined by his own gumption to not Betray Jesus takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the men that came to arrest Jesus. To which Jesus had to rebuke Peter and say, not now. Not now. Not in this way. So Peter follows Jesus to his mock trials. We might call them mock because they didn't follow any of the standards of trials in that day. But they were real. And in that moment, in that evening, three times, Peter says, I don't know him. I don't belong to him. I'm not one of his. So think about that. You spend several years of your life following a teacher. You spend several years of your life patterning patterning your life after a teacher. You spend several years of your life believing that this man is God's chosen 
king and Messiah who was to come. You spend several years of your life wanting to honor him and help him build his kingdom and wanting to stand with him in his moment of glory. Maybe because you want a little glory, maybe because you want him to have glory. But either way, you've been yearning for this day and you spend it with your tail between your legs like a, like a dog who is afraid because you don't know how Jesus is going to relate to you after you've denied him three times. You feel the weight of this, right? So notice what happens. Verse 15 and following, when they had finished breakfast, and as the the narrative moves, it sounds like Jesus and Peter and John and maybe some others go for a walk. And what happens on this walk is Jesus restores Peter. Jesus restores Peter. But he doesn't just restore him to the status of the forgiven, but he restores him to the status of the forgiven who serve him and build his kingdom. That's really important. It's really important. What Jesus does in this passage is not just restore Peter to the status of forgiven, like, hey man, I really wish you wouldn't have done that, but, but I died for that sin too, and so you'll still get to be with me in paradise. That would be good. But, but, but Peter goes, but Jesus goes further, and he says, and I still will use you to feed my sheep. I still will use you to feed my lambs. I still will use you to spread my message, to build my kingdom, even to write some of my word, and you will ultimately die for the cause of which you are going to build, which is my kingdom and my church. So, so you, you have this, this three-time thing going on where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Third time, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter is grieved that Jesus, he feels like, doesn't believe him. Do you love me? And he says, yes, feed my sheep. So what's going on there, man? There are, so, there are stacks upon stacks upon stacks of books about what's going on with all the nuance there. But let's not miss the forest for the trees. Let's just be as simple as we can. Number one, Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus restored him three times. Why? As a way to say, I've overcome all all of your denials. Number two, Peter had spent the previous years with Jesus for the purpose of being one of those who would take the message and the ministry of Jesus out into the world. And they did this by speaking the word about Jesus. They did this by inviting people to hear and receive and to believe the word of Jesus. And so when Peter says, excuse me, when Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my lambs, what he's saying is, I still want you to be an apostle. I still want you to be one who tells of the story of your time with me. I still want to build my church through you. Peter, do you remember when I said upon this rock of your confession, I will build my church? It's still true. Now we could camp out here and we could do a whole series of sermons on what this means for pastoral ministry in the local church, and I think that's for another day, okay? 
But what this means right here is Jesus did not just go out of his way to restore Peter into the fellowship, but he went out of his way to say, Peter, you are restored to the fellowship, but you're also restored to the sent ministry of building my kingdom. So basically what Jesus is going out of his way to do in front of John and possibly in front of other disciples is to say, what happened between me and Peter on that last night does not change Peter's status in this room because I've forgiven him and I've restored him and I'm sending him. Okay. So the commission to Peter is, follow me and feed my, feed my sheep. And then Peter being Peter, like, like this dude, can, he should encourage you so much because he can just not get out of his own way. And if you don't resonate with Peter, you should just read it more, okay? But Peter goes, okay, okay, go. Well, well let's get, like, let's, enough about me. What about John? Because by the way, what I left out in there was Jesus told Peter that he was going to die for following him. And so Peter's like, oh, this is good. What about John? Let's talk about John for a little bit. And Jesus says, look, if it's my will that he remain till I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So there's this little bit of Jesus looking intently upon Peter and saying, I'm restoring you and I'm sending you. And really, Peter, don't worry about John and don't worry about James and don't worry about everyone else, but you follow me. You feed my sheep. You bear fruit. I have work for you to do, Peter, and my spirit's going to be with you to help you because I'll never leave you out, never forsake you. So what we see in this passage about Peter is Jesus going to great lengths to restore him. We see Jesus going to great lengths to connect restoration with following him. You're restored, follow me. Meaning, you're welcomed into the fellowship. You're amongst the brothers and the sisters, the brethren and the sister, and come and follow me. Jesus goes to great lengths to connect restoration to sending and ministry. Peter, your work is still to build my kingdom by feeding my sheep. And this, you biblical theological guys that are like, you haven't said it yet, so let me get this real quick. This is hugely important because Peter is going to be one of the primary instruments that God uses to build the church of Jesus. Peter's going to be one of the primary instruments to proclaim the message of Jesus to the Jews. He's going to be one of the primary instruments to help carry forward this ministry of the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so Peter's status as an apostle must be wrestled with after his denial. And Jesus is, is elevating Peter back to a place to be used for the, king, for the building of his kingdom. So that matters because like, we have two books in our Bible, First and Second Peter. Peter was doing exactly what Jesus called him to do. That matters when we read the book of Acts and we see Peter playing a pivotal role in the future work of building the church. That's Peter doing exactly what Jesus wanted and exactly what Jesus called him to do. Now, we could stop there, and this is how our message could end. Jesus is alive. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again, and he restored Peter, and that is good. But I believe, and I don't think I'm out on the edge to say that it's no accident that John's gospel ends this way. Because I think 
that everything in John's gospel was put there for the purpose to, to call us to bear fruit for God's glory. If you don't believe me, just look at the end of chapter um, 20, verse 30. John says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did things which were not recorded. Perhaps he did something nice for one of the other apostles that day over breakfast on the beach, but it's not recorded. But, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this part about Peter being restored is so that we'll believe and we'll find life and we'll find joy in Jesus. Chapter 21, verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So I self-selected these things under the guidance of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of mobilizing the reader to believe in Christ and to bear fruit for his kingdom. This story's here too, and so that leads to our third point. What about us? I am here to argue emphatically that we can learn something deeply in this between verse 50, 15 and 24 where Jesus is restoring Peter. And I believe it's a message that we need to hear. Three things. Number one, forgiveness includes restoration. So often, our discussions of the gospel of Jesus center around he died and he rose again because the judge was going to judge you. Jesus bore your penalty and there is no more penalty. That is gospel, by the way. That's true and it's in the Bible. But another piece of the, this gospel message is because of your sin, you were separated from God. And in Christ, you are restored to fellowship with God. Jesus came so that we could have restoration. Jesus came so that we could have restoration. Number two, forgiveness and fellowship go together. Forgiveness and fellowship go together. Jesus is grafting, making sure that Peter and all the apostles know that he's grafted back into their family. He's grafted back into their group. He's grafted back into those that are taking the gospel. He's one of them because he's in Christ. And if we're in Christ and our sins are forgiven, not only are we restored to fellowship with God, but we share the fellowship of the church. Jesus said, follow me. Whatever I'm doing with John, follow me. Whatever I'm doing with Thomas, follow me. You follow me amongst my people. So if you put these first two points together, that forgiveness brings restoration and forgiveness brings fellowship, then the takeaway of that is there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And there are no second-class citizens in the church. Whatever your ethnic background, we stand equal in Christ. Whatever sins you commit 
did before you came to Christ, and even whatever sins you commit now, if you confess them and repent of them and seek the forgiveness of the Lord and and, and correctly walk in contrition, there is no status except in Christ. If you take antidepressants or you don't, if you're on anxiety meds or you're not, if you have social anxiety or you don't, if you have a debilitating disease or you don't, if you can stand and sing or you can't, if you're filled with doubt or you're not, if you're filled with self-loathing or you're not, if you're filled with joy or you're not, we are all one in Christ. And Jesus has covered it all and he has restored us through it all. And he wants us to walk believing that we have been restored to fellowship with him and fellowship to the church. So may we not be found creating barriers that Jesus died to obliterate. I really want to preach a whole sermon there, but we'll move on. Finally, this interaction between Jesus and Peter shows us that forgiveness and service go together. Forgiveness and service go together. Now, some of you are just lethargic and lazy in your faith, and you just need to be smacked a little bit this morning to hear that when Jesus died for your sin, he died so that you would be used to build his kingdom. So some of us don't feel inferior. We just don't want to. And that's probably a whole other sermon as well. But if Peter is restored to serve and carry out his ministry, then every one of us who have been restored have been restored to serve and to carry out our ministry. I'm just telling you, most of us, you guys remember, um, never mind, my brain's failing me this morning. The book, The Scarlet Letter. You remember the book? woman committed adultery and her punishment was to wear a scarlet letter on her, her shirt forever. I think most of us believe like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, in Christ, that sin of adultery is forgiven. But I think most of us also believe that we wear the scarlet letter forever. Like I can't go and teach a Bible study because I have the scarlet letter. Maybe it's not A, maybe it's B, C, D, E, F, G for you, but I got the scarlet letter. I can't go and share the gospel with my neighbor because I have the scarlet letter. I I can't go and display the love of Jesus because Jesus doesn't want broken messengers with the scarlet letter. I really believe that this stuff is, is just kind of subtly absorbed into the church world and we believe that mess. There are no scarlet letters. We are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we're loved, we're accepted, we're forgiven, and He is going to build His church through us. So let's do it by the power of His Spirit. Let's do it.
Let's believe that we're not wearing the scarlet letter around. Let's believe it. So I just want to end this way. The church is messy because people are messy. Ministry is hard because the world has fallen. Restoration is often difficult because sin takes on all types of nuance and and difficulty. But I believe that Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus restored Peter, and Jesus sent the apostles because he wanted us to be the place that because of our great love for him and the love that he's lavished upon us, we would be a people who extend the forgiveness of Christ. We extend the restoration that comes in Christ. We extend the fellowship of the body of Christ. And we extend the ministry of the gospel of Jesus as far and as wide and as deep as we possibly can because we know that that's what most glorifies Christ. And we do it believing that his spirit is in us and with us to help us.